Well, Happy New Year, church. Man, it was great to see so many of you coming out for the new year already. Well, speaking of new year, it was about 2,000 years ago that a child was born, and this child was going to change everything. At least, that was the promise. Born of humble origins, when this child grew up, he would challenge the power structures and power brokers of his culture of the world. He declared that he was the savior of his people, and his kingdom and his rule were described with the word gospel. Gospel, a proclamation, an announcement, a declaration of good news. And the name of this man? You're wrong. Octavian. <laughs> Nothing like the preacher tricking you right out of the gate, right? Octavian. By the age of 33, Octavian had become the undisputed ruler of the world. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And his empire stretched over a vast amount of territory. He was given a new name, Augustus Caesar, the exalted one. And when he eventually died, he was held by many as a god. And it looked like his kingdom had been a success until it came crashing down. As with every other earthly kingdom, eventually it collapsed. Interestingly, during the reign of Octavian, of Augustus Caesar, there was another child born. Born in relative obscurity, born into a family of little means, no perks, no privileges, a working class family, a family without much privilege. And this man lived in an area with a group of people who had actually been conquered by Octavian's empire. And by the time he was 33, he was declared a heretic. He was declared a religious rebel. This man had claimed to usher in a whole new kingdom. He too had claimed to be a savior. But his kingdom, he said, would not be built with military might, but with love, with sacrifice, with servanthood. That his kingdom would advance very differently. Built with power, yes, but with the supernatural power Dictated by love. And his name? Yeah, you got it right that time. That's Jesus, right? So Jesus born at the same time. These two competing kingdoms, two competing kings. But Jesus at the age of 33. A religious rebel, a heretic, crucified and killed. His kingdom looked like a failure. His kingdom looked weak. But yet, even after he died, and yes, he came back from the grave, but he did not stay with us. He ascended to his heavenly throne, and he put the keys to his kingdom, not in military leaders, not in political power brokers, not in the social influencers of his time, but into a ragtag group of men, former fishermen and an ousted accountant, and he trusted them to advance the kingdom. And that's exactly what happened. His kingdom continued to spread. And it has not stopped spreading for 2,000 years. It's advanced not with the sword, but with the cross. It looked like a failure at the beginning. And yet, it still advances. 
You know, all the kingdoms of this world eventually come to an end. Every attempt to establish a kingdom, an empire, a rule, a nation with military might, with political power, with cultural coercion, with societal structures, eventually those all come to an end. They all fade because eventually somebody else shows up with more military might, with more coercion, with more power. And those those earthly empires, they never fully make good on all their promises. That they never provide the peace that they promise to provide. And if they do, they don't provide it for long. Power, coercion, force, strength. Eventually, there's somebody who has more power. There's somebody who has more people. There's somebody who has more might. There's somebody with more strength. Eventually, the kingdom is overtaken by another one. Or when the king dies, when the leader dies, the kingdom fractures as other people fight for the throne. Or the people rise up and revolt because of all the promises of all the perks and privileges that the empire would give them, all the peace the empire would bring them. Those promises aren't being met for people, and so they rise up and revolt. Every earthly kingdom eventually comes to an end. Aren't you glad that America doesn't have any of that kind of stuff going on? Aren't you glad that there is no division or rivalries, that political conversations are just that here in the U.S., that it's a pleasant, peaceful, polite conversation, never marked by division or or anger? Don't you wish that were true? Man, we know. We know that this year, 2024, is going to be marked by a whole lot of political messiness. That with the primaries right around the corner, with the presidential election coming up in November, there's going to be a whole lot of political noise and contentiousness and divisiveness. It's going to be loud. It's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be distracting. How many of you want to get caught up in all that? Of all I just described, how many of you want that to describe you? How many of you said, going into 24, I want this to be a year of noisiness and distraction and contentiousness. No. So to avoid getting caught up as the, the power brokers of our world continue to compete and clash, the healthiest place for us to look is to look to Jesus. That's always the healthiest place for us to look. No matter the circumstances, that's always the healthiest place for us to look. So to avoid getting caught in the noise, let's look to Jesus and what he said about his kingdom. We're going to begin today with taking a look at Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Now, let me explain. John, this is John the baptizer, John the immerser, not John the disciple. This was John who baptized Jesus. This was John who had lived out in the desert and then came back and was proclaiming a message of repentance. Telling people, turn away from your sins, turn towards God. That's what repentance means. Turn away from your sin, turn towards God, because the kingdom of God is near. And then when Jesus showed up, he said, hey, look, there's a king of the kingdom. He said a little bit different, but that's what he was getting at. So this is John, the one who was paving the way for Jesus. But John also said some things against King Herod. And that got him in trouble with Herod, and John got arrested. So when that happened, Jesus left the area of Judea, and he returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then he left there and moved to Capernaum, and that's beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. 
This fulfilled what God said centuries earlier through the prophet Isaiah. And the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. Now, Gentiles are not Jewish people. Jesus was a Jewish man living in a Jewish culture. And he had been in the area of Judea, which was predominantly Jewish. Now, these people had been conquered by the Romans, but there were still the Jewish Centered culture, But up in Galilee, it was more of a mixed bag. It was a diverse area. There were plenty of Jewish people there still, of course, but there were a whole lot of other people, tons of non-Jewish people. So it was uh, a very diverse region. Well, moving on, the prophet had also said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. As for those who lived in a land where death casts its shadow. Have you ever felt like you've been in the land shadowed by death. If you've ever been to a funeral of somebody you care about, you know what that feels like. And so this is how Isaiah the prophet had described life without God, the darkness of sin and the darkness of wandering outside of God's kingdom. But he said, even to those people, a light has shined. Well, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Up to that point, Jesus had kind of let John do the preaching for him. Well, John's now arrested. So Jesus begins that same message, picking up the message of John. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Turn away from your sin, turn towards God. That's repentance. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, you may hear at times the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same thing. When you read in your Bible, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, they're synonymous. They are not different. Some might argue there's a discrepancy between them. Now, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is right here. And then Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee. He taught in the synagogues. He announced the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So we see here that there's movement in the kingdom. It moves from John proclaiming about Jesus to Jesus himself being the one to say, my kingdom is right here. My kingdom's at hand. Here it is. You want to be part of my kingdom. And then there's movement in what Jesus did. If we look on a map, what we'll see, Jesus had been down in this area of Jerusalem and Jericho. Bethlehem is down here. We, We hear those words. But Jesus has moved up into this region He went to Nazareth, and Gennesaret, Capernaum is where he settled, right beside the Sea of Galilee. And he begins his ministry up here, doing a lot of teaching and preaching up in this area. And this signifies that the kingdom is on the move. When Jesus makes this move, he's signifying that his kingdom is for all people at all times in all places. That his kingdom is moving forward, not only for the Jewish people, but for all people. But it does beg the question... What is the kingdom of heaven? And oftentimes we think of kingdoms and empires and nations in this world. We can think of nations as kingdoms for this illustration. We, we tend to think of political boundary markers. I mean, we think of that in any kind of different term, right? Like cities have boundary lines. You have the city limits. We sit just north of the Jefferson County, Bullock County line. There's a different political ruling class in each one of those, right? You might cross, you go across the river just north of us, you leave Kentucky and you go to that that nasty state of Indiana. I mean, it's like you're going downhill, right? Like, you go over to Indiana. There's a different kind of political ruling there. You go far enough north and you go from 
from the U.S. and you'll go into Canada. You go far enough south, you go from the U.S. down into Mexico. There's a boundary line. There's a line that marks it. That's not how God's kingdom is. We, we think of boundary markers of where a kingdom is defined by geographical lines. Think of God's kingdom less as realm of geographical lines and more of reign. R-E-I-G-N. That wherever Jesus is king, that's where the kingdom is. Wherever God reigns as God, that's the kingdom of heaven. So if Jesus is identified as the king, if God is identified as supreme, God's kingdom is there. So wherever God reigns, his kingdom is. I love when we read in Colossians, it says this, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of darkness would be sin, Satan's rule, our own failed kingly, queenly leadership of our own lives. And he's transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We could also say into the kingdom of light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus purchased our freedom with his blood and forgave us our sins. He rescued us. A couple days before Christmas, there were a couple guys down in Florida who decided to go for a hike and they wandered into the swamp. And then they wandered into a part of the swamp they were not supposed to be in. And they lost track of time and then they got lost themselves. And so here they were, the sun set, it's after dark, they're in the soggy alligator infested swamps in Florida. They're lost after dark. When authorities heard of this, one, one of the authorities said, those men are as good as dead if left in that swamp. And so the authorities went out to find them. They flew helicopters above using night vision goggles to locate these men. They finally located them, and from the air, they directed their men on the ground to them. When the guys, the rescuers showed up on the ground, they were shining bright lights. They found the guys. The guys still had their phones. They had little tiny phone lights, but that's not enough to get you out of the swamp. And the guys came toward them, and the men were apologetic for having to cause such a ruckus and need rescued and all that. But they were safe at that point. They, you know, were interacting with the rescuers. And the rescuers said, all right. Follow us. There's a few of us. One will lead you in front. One will go behind you. One beside you. And with bright lights, they ushered those men out of the swamp. They rescued them. Now, the rescuing wasn't just when the rescuers showed up and those guys said, hey, we're sorry for all this. It's not like the rescuers said, that's all right. You're forgiven. We'll see you later. Like forgiveness was a key part of it. But to just be forgiven is not to be rescued. They had to be led from that swamp. That's how Jesus rescues us. He forgives us, yes. But the rescuing comes as we allow him to lead us from the darkness into the light. Eventually, those men made their way back into the parking lot and back into the lights and back into the safety out of the swamp, away from the alligators. I don't know about you, but wandering around in an alligator-infested swamp, even in the daylight does not sound wise to me. Like, I don't know what those guys were thinking. I'm not sure if those guys may have been drinking, but you know, they had to get rescued. To get rescued, they had to be found and then follow the lead. And that's how it is with Jesus. It's one thing to identify who Jesus is. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, Jesus, I want you to rescue me. 
But we're fully rescued when we allow him to lead us. See, the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of blessing. And the blessing happens as we exit the darkness and enter the light. I love how Paul includes a prayer in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul writes this to him. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What a beautiful concept that is. When we think of blessings, one of the ways to think of blessing is that blessing happens when you allow God to be God in your life. When you stop trying to be God and you allow God to be God. When you allow Jesus to be king, you will be blessed. And you may hear sometimes the blessings and curses of scripture. The curse is really not that God is actively working against us as much as it is God is allowing us the natural consequence of us being the ruler of our lives instead of allowing him to have that ruling place. Well, we're going to begin this year by unpacking what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous, his longest sermon. We're going to take several weeks to unpack it. We're going to begin with what's known as the Beatitudes. Beatitudes is just a Latin word for blessings, the statements of blessing. And so we're going to look at what the blessed life really is. What does Jesus define as a blessed life? If we want the blessing of God, let's go to God to find out what he says he can bless. And, and this is really the kingdom manifesto. This is what Jesus says will define the people of his kingdom. But his kingdom is a kingdom of blessing. But if you want the blessing, you've got to live in a way that allows God to bless it. It's as though Jesus says throughout this, he says, my kingdom is here, but you got to let me be king. If you let me be king, I'll bless whatever you bring to me. Well, whatever part of your life you surrender to my kingly authority will be blessed. But if you don't surrender it to me, if you don't let that be part of the kingdom, I can't bless what's outside my kingdom. I want to bless you, but you got to bring it into my kingdom to allow me to bless it. Have here a, Polaroid picture of my dad and me way long ago. <laughs> it just signifies relationships. If you want God to bless your relationship with your children or with your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your friends, you've got to surrender that relationship to the kingship of Jesus. You give it to Jesus, he'll bless it. But if you say, no, I'm going to do these relationships my way. God, I know what you've said about sex and sexuality, but you know what? I like doing it my way better. It's more fun, more enjoyable. I'm going to dismiss what you've said about sex and sexuality. But God, would you still bless my marriage? Would you still bless my relationship? Fat chance. God cannot bless what is not surrendered to him. If it's not offered, the blessing is not available. But you take your relationships and whatever relationship you have, you surrender it to God. You allow him to be king over that. You'll find blessing. You'll find blessing very different than what you may have found, what you may have expected. Similarly, if you want God to bless your health and your fitness, your sleep, your exercise, you want God to bless your body, you want God to bless your mind, you got to surrender that to him. Aren't you glad they made an action figure of Jonathan Colbert? Like, isn't that cool? 
guy's famous. But if you want to go your own way, right? Because God speaks into every area of life. The Bible speaks into every area of life. And God gives us instruction, not just for his glory, but for our benefit. But when we say, no, I'm going to dismiss all that. That's not really important. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to drink what I want to drink. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to entertain how I want to entertain. I'm going to do these things. And But God, would you still bless that? But you surrender it to him. You bring that into his kingdom. You'll find there's blessing there. Maybe your money, your job. You say, well, God, you can be king over everything else. But I'm the one. It was my hard work, my study, my skill, my effort, my energy that got me my job, that got me my paycheck, that got me. God, you, you can have a little bit, but I'm. But God, would you bless it? God, I, I'm not going to talk to people at my work about you. I won't view that as ministry. It's just work. But would you bless it? You surrender it to him. You put that in his kingdom. Just watch how he might bless you. Now this one's a difficult one. I don't know that they make a band-aid for the soul. So this is the best I could do to illustrate. But your wounds, your hurts, maybe your habits, your hang-ups... Those things people have said and done to you that should not have happened. Surrender it to God? Or do you hold on to it? God, I'm going to handle this my way. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to reconcile. I don't want to offer the opportunity that maybe I'm missing. I don't want any of that. God, I'm going to be angry and bitter and slander and gossip and be divisive and, and I don't want to surrender that to you. I'd rather stay mad. I'd rather what they did is unacceptable. It's unforgivable, God. Or you surrender it to the kingdom. And you let the king be the king. That's not easy. Listen, none of that is easy. Because the way we're wired up, we are wired up to be the kings and queens over our own souls. Sin has broken us. We want that. It is hard to surrender to the kingship of Jesus at times. There are some places, each one of us has areas that are really easy to surrender. And every single one of us has probably an equal number of areas that are really tough for us to surrender. But when you hold on to some of those things and you don't surrender it to the kingly authority of Jesus, you block his blessing in your life. You want it to be blessed? Surrender it. Don't block yourself from blessing. God cannot, will not bless what is not surrendered and offered to him. If you want the blessing of the king, you got to allow him to be king in your life. You know, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, says this. It says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. I love what he says here. Citizens of heaven. That means we are under the kingly authority of Jesus. We're under his rule. And I know, Americans, we're not big on king. Like we, we're the nation that 
left the king. We broke away. We rebelled from the king, right? So I don't know. Jesus is president. Use whatever word fits best, except he's not elected. He's just there, right? He, he has earned it. But Jesus is the leader, and we are citizens of his kingdom. So it's not a dual citizenship. I, I want us to be really careful about this because there's a, a physical aspect of where we live, but there's a spiritual component of that. Jesus breaks in and invades our physical world with his supernatural spiritual realities. And so spiritually speaking, we are citizens only of heaven or of the dominion of darkness. If you've not yet surrendered to Jesus, you're a citizen of Satan's rule. If you've surrendered to Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven. But but here, especially in places like America, it gets a little wonky because we tend to blur the lines between the earthly and the eternal. And so we think we have this dual citizenship. Well, I'm a citizen of the U.S. and a citizen of heaven. Physically, you're a citizen of the U.S. Spiritually speaking, you are a resident alien in this world. Spiritually, you have one citizenship. That is to Jesus. That is to the king. That is to God alone. And God does not merge or compete with any other kingdom. It's his kingdom alone. There is no dual citizenship. So physically, yes, you are a citizen here of this country. And be involved. Scripture would tell us, be very involved. Vote, participate, even be passionate. Don't be a jerk, but be passionate. (laughs) And and be super involved, but know that that's not the full spiritual realm. Give your best, your first, your most energy to the king and his kingdom. And let that impact how you interact with the kingdoms of this world, all kingdoms of this world. But there's a danger that happens when we confuse the earthly and the eternal. There's a danger that happens when we try to merge the earthly and the eternal kingdoms. Because hear me on this. Study history and you will find that every time... Every time the church partners with the kingdoms of this world, the church loses. Every single time. You partner the church with the kingdoms of this world, the church loses. Every time. Why? Because that's not how God set up his kingdom. See, the power brokers of this world, they want to leverage the kingdom for their own kingdoms. They want to leverage the Christian message for their own power, their own publicity, their own platform, if you will. They want to take advantage. And there have been several attempts to do that. There have been several who've tried to hijack the kingdom message and make it their own. There have been several attempts to rule with the sword instead of the cross. We've seen that throughout history. We saw it with the Crusades, right? A shining example of what not to do. And here's why. Because Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of invitation, not coercion. Jesus forces no one into the kingdom. He invites everyone into the kingdom. Everyone's invited. No one is forced. And as soon as you have a power structure in this world that forces people into a kingdom mindset, their behavior might align, their hearts don't. That is exactly what Jesus was up against when he was pushing against the religious leaders of his day, the religious power brokers of his day. They had all the rules, all the regulations, all the religiosity, and none of the heart transformation. 
They did all the right things and still missed God. And Jesus says, when we try to run it like a system that forces people to do, then we prevent them from being. So we invite them to be a citizen, not just to do the religious duties. See, heartfelt obedience is always better than legalistic observance. Levelism, there's a new word for you. (laughs) Levelism is always better than legalism. Jesus does not force, he invites. That same passage says we're citizens of heaven. He says we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take notice, and I know it's going to feel a little bit like middle school grammar, but just hang with me. Notice the tense of the verbs here. He will take, that's future tense, our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. He will do it. He, He hasn't finished it out yet, but he will do that. What this means is God's kingdom is an already but not yet kingdom. Already not yet. We already experience eternal life when we declare that Jesus is our king and our savior. But we don't have the full experience of that until we cross the threshold into the glorious paradise of heaven. So we have this already but not yet kind of experience. Allow me to give you an imperfect analogy. Every analogy is imperfect. Don't run this too far. It's an analogy. It's imperfect because it's an analogy. But it's kind of like this. Here in the States, we have election day and then we have inauguration day. So you have somebody, let's say they get ousted on, and I'm not being prophetic here. Please don't read into this 2024. Like read back into this, what we've seen in the past. You have a president who is in power, but then gets beat at election day. And so you have a new president who is declared the new one. But election day happens in November, inauguration day when he takes the seat in D.C. happens in January. You've got a couple months of this weird already not yetness happening. The old person's defeated. The new person has already been declared victorious, but doesn't yet. So what do we call this area? It's the lame duck for the old one, right? This is the reign of Satan. Satan has already been defeated. He knows he's going down, but Jesus has not yet come back for his inauguration day to claim the throne of the world in fullness. He sits on his throne in glory. The day of his return is coming. If we think of it this way, let's go to the next slide. We have the time that Jesus ascended to his throne in glory, and we await for the day that he will return to bring all things under his control. And we're in this place of already not yetness. It's a weird place to live, but that's where we live. And the question many people have is, when's the return? When's the inauguration? When's it going to happen? And I love that last week we got to hear from Mark Moore, and he answered it really great by saying, I don't know. (laughs) Nobody knows. Jesus said he doesn't know. And Jesus said, honestly, That's not the big part. It's not about when, it's about who. We know who's coming back. We know Jesus is going to return, and that's the big deal. He's already king. He's not yet king in his fullness declared here over us. It's kind of like this. When those dudes who were left in that soggy swamp with all the alligators around them, 
when the rescuers showed up, they were saved in that moment already. They knew like, oh man, the rangers are here. We're good. But they had to make their way out of that swamp. There was a progression to the fullness being realized. And not until they were back in their cars and in the safety away from those gators did they fully realize it. Friends, we're still sludging our way out of the swamp, awaiting the return fully. Imperfect analogy, but I hope that helps you a little bit. So the question is not, when is this going to happen? The question is, why hasn't it happened yet? (laughs) And Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, answers it like this. He said, Jesus isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think he might be. No, he is being patient. Patient for who? Patient for the sake of those who have not yet surrendered to him as king. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants, say it with me, everyone. Who? Everyone. Everyone. To turn from sin and turn to Jesus as king. That's why he waits. He gives us the option. In the same letter to the church at Philippi, where we read that we are citizens of heaven awaiting the return of the king, we also read this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are a lot of things we should do, but we don't have to. I would argue you should brush your teeth before you go to bed. I'd say you should exercise throughout the week. You should manage your diet and the things that are not good for you. Take those in moderation. I'd say you should be generous and you should love people. You should show kindness and respect, give dignity to others. But no one's forcing you to do that. For the kids in the room, your parents might be, but there will come a time. There will come a time. You get to choose if you're going to brush your teeth or not. Please do. It's really for the rest of us. No one's forcing you. You should do that. And it's kind of like this for the kids in the room. No one's forcing you. But if mom and dad come into the room, oh, then you know. Oh, I better I better do that. I, I better take care of the dishes. I better put my clothes away. See, there's coming a day that we read of in Romans that as sure as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Because there's a day our king is coming back. Right now you have the choice to acknowledge Jesus as king and enter into his kingdom. Because if you wait for that day, it's too late. You won't be able to help it. You'll see the king and all his glory. But when you stand before him, you'll acknowledge. But if you've not already declared, then it's too late. So one of the things I love about our king is that his kingdom has an open invitation to everyone. It's not coercion. There's no force. But there's an open invitation to everyone. John records for us in his gospel a time when Nicodemus, a religious leader, came and was asking Jesus how to enter the kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. 
What do you mean? Exclaimed Nick. Like, how can an old man go back into his mama's womb and be born again? Don't think too much on that. Jesus laughed and said, no, 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 Dick, you got it all wrong. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit, well, he gives birth to spiritual life. Everyone's invited into the kingdom, but there's only one way in. And that's through Jesus. No one is excluded. Everyone is invited. But there's only one way in. And his name is Jesus. And what does that rebirth look like? Being born of the water and the spirit? On the side of our platform, we have this big pool we call a baptistry. Filled with water. And that rebirth for us looks like the practice of the New Testament where you surrender your life and you demonstrate your repentance of putting your old rebellious ways, being the king or queen of your life, you put that to death in the water of the baptistry. And you rise up in a brand new life to be born again, declaring Jesus is my king and I will follow him because he is my rescuer who loves me. And friend, if you have not done that, the invitation is for you. You you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all your questions answered. You don't have to, you don't have to clean yourself up first. You simply need to know two things. That you need Jesus to rescue you and you're willing to let him lead you as your king. Yeah, that, you're ready. Now, you may have some questions about that, what it looks like, the ins and outs of it. We'd love to have that conversation with you. But let me tell you, next week, we invite anyone who has not yet declared Jesus as king to get in that water. There's no better way to start your 24 than declaring your allegiance to the king. Saying, Jesus, I need you to lead. I want 24 to be my best year yet. In fact, I want it to be a brand new year because I want it to be a brand new life. And so you can text the word next to 502-289-1387. And in the form we send you back, you just declare your interest in baptism and we'll, we'll connect with you this week. We'll answer your questions. We'll meet with you. We'll talk with you through it. We'll, we'll give you all the ins and outs of how it can work next week. But maybe... Maybe you're not certain yet. So take this week and pray every day. God, if you're real, show yourself real to me. And God, if, if I need to be born anew in the water of baptism, would you make it obvious? You pray that prayer, I guarantee we're going to see you there next week. And if you got a friend, you got a family member, you got somebody you know who needs to be here next week to hear the message, to join us in that water, you make sure you invite them. Of all the things you could do to start 24 well, you invite them to come join you there. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the king, the one and the only. And you invite us to be the citizens of your kingdom. And God, if we will follow your lead, if we will surrender to your kingly leadership, 
we'll find blessing far greater than anything we could ever create on our own. God, as we jump into this series of the blessed life, I pray that we would know that the greatest blessing of all is to know you. To know you as friend, as savior, as father, as king. For those of us who know you that way, may our lives show it. And for those who don't yet know you, may they surrender their lives and get to know you that way. Amen.